Uh, good evening, folks. How are you? Have you had a long day today? Well, <clears throat> hopefully we'll provide a blessing for you tonight so that your heart will be uplifted after a long day. And uh, tonight what I'd like to do is I'd like to share with you a message that I've called Running from Duty. And I wonder if there's anyone in here tonight that might be running from duty. And I'm going to develop this thought as we proceed. But before we do that, let's have a word of prayer together and we will once again invoke the Lord's presence. Father in heaven, tonight, thank you so much for blessing us through another day and seeing us through this day. Lord, we've come into your house tonight seeking a blessing because we realize we need one in this time of earth's history. So, Father, we humble ourselves to you tonight. We ask you to accept our heartfelt surrender. We pray that you would cleanse us from sin and that you would bless our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Please, Heavenly Father, send your Spirit tonight. And I pray that your message would come through in a powerful way to each person. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. By the way, before I begin, I want to just mention, I know that um, we've, we've mentioned these little expected cards that list the messages. You prob- some of you probably have already figured out, I'm kind of not going by the titles on this. Um, so don't, don't hold me to these titles. I'm just trying to let the Lord lead me as, as far as what to preach on. But I'm going to try to announce the titles before every sermon so you have an idea of what subject we'll be covering. But I want to say tonight that uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Mark Swearingen. I'm a pastor in the Carolina Conference. I've been there for two years at the Hickory Seventh-day Adventist Church. And by the way, my wife, um, Sarah, and our three children, Abigail... Jonathan and Samantha send their greetings. They say hello and they wish they could be here. And uh, they, they sent me word earlier um, through a phone call and also through Facebook that they're praying for, me, praying for me in the meetings. And it's always good to know that your family back home is praying for you. They wish they could be here. But my wife currently is teaching kindergarten at our church school at our current church. So she could not get away for this week. But uh, I want to tell you tonight that I am a follower of Jesus Christ that I love Jesus with all my heart. And I really believe that He has changed my life in an incredible way. And tonight I hope to share with you just an overview of my personal testimony on how I came to the point I'm at right now. And I hope and pray tonight that you will be blessed as a result of that and that you will see how God is pursuing you even when you run from duty and that He wants you more than anything. And hopefully tonight you'll see how God is leading in your life. To begin with, I'd like to say that I grew up in southern Maine. I'm a Mainer. Right? I packed my car up in Maine. All right? And, uh, of course, that's a little Maine speech for you. It's interesting. Growing up there, people said to me, you're not from Maine. Where's your accent? And then when I left and lived in different places, they said, you're from New England, aren't you? So I, I guess, I don't know what happened there with the accent. But I grew up in Bath, Maine. And uh, one day when I was five years old, my mother came home and made an announcement to the family. She said, starting next weekend, we are going to start going to church. Now, the first five years of my life, I never went. But starting in that particular time, my mother dragged the whole family kicking and screaming to church every weekend. And I went against my will. 
And in fact, one time, my mother wanted to pick up a particular person that was in my class in school who wasn't in my peer group, and I thought I was better then. And I got so upset at my mom. Mom, why are we picking up this person? What if my friends see me? But she, nevertheless, was trying to be a, a good Christian woman and, and gave people rides to church when they needed it. But nevertheless, what's interesting about that is one day my heart was changed when I was 10 years old. And when I was 10, I made the decision to give my heart to Jesus Christ. And I was baptized by immersion into a church in Bath, Maine. And it wasn't a Seventh-day Adventist church. But, you know, I believe that I had a conversion experience at that young age. And we, sh we should never discount God's ability to reach even the young people. I mean, I'm talking about the real young people. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying we should rush youth, you know, real young youth into baptism, but, but nevertheless, we should never discount God's ability to reach even the little ones. And I believe, this may sound crazy, but I believe that God's Holy Spirit began to speak to me in my thoughts even at that young age. Because shortly after I was baptized, and by the way, when I was baptized, I saw my mother out in the congregation and she was weeping tears of joy that her son finally got the picture. I'll never forget that picture of my mother just sitting there in the congregation just crying out in praises to God that her son made the decision to follow the Lord. But I can remember after that baptism thinking to myself, why am I here? What am I doing here on this earth? What is my purpose in life? Can you relate? Have you ever wondered what your purpose is in life? Now I know some of you here are students here, so you may have figured that out already, hopefully. But nevertheless, I wondered that, and you know, God began to speak to me through my thoughts. I never heard an audible voice like some people claim, but I believe the Spirit of God speaks to the brain, nerves, and the mind and begins to work with us through our thoughts. And He impressed my mind with the thought, you will be a minister one day. And you know, because of my peer group, because I was, I was educated in a public school and I got caught up with the athletes and played football, baseball, and basketball every year, and, and I started getting around the jocks and all this stuff, you know, I worried about my reputation. And I thought to myself, well, you know, and I thought to the Lord, I said, Lord, wait a minute, you know, I can't do that because none of my friends are into religion. What would they think if I went into the ministry? I'd be the laughing stock of my peer group. And you know, I dismissed that thought. Soon thereafter, I was faced with a temptation. One of my friends who lived down the street from me was having a party one day after school. This was probably... You know, it was probably a year or two after I was baptized, probably 11, 12 years old, right in that range. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, going home from school that day, I said, you know what, I'm going to that party. There were all kinds of things that were going to be transpiring there that were not approved by God, as you can imagine. And so when I went home, I got changed, I put my schoolwork away, and I could sense God working in my mind again, saying, you know, you really shouldn't go there, because you'll be walking around the tree of knowledge. And your mind will snapshot things that you have no business being exposed to at that young age. Right? But I wanted to go because self was still in control. I had not learned what it meant to surrender my heart in the moment 
to Jesus. And so I got all ready. And I went to walk out the door, and and something incredible happened. My father pulled up. He came home early from work. And by the way, he never, ever came home early from work. And this particular day, he came home and said, son, where are you going? And I said, I'm going going down to David's house. And he said, well, listen, I need you to run with me. I'm going to run some errands around town. I need you to come with me. And I knew it was God foiling my plans. I knew that was a supernatural intervention to keep me from walking around the forbidden tree, so to speak. And so I begrudgingly got into that car, shaking my fist at heaven, saying, God, I can't believe you're doing this to me. What do you think you're doing? I have an agenda, and I'm going to see that agenda through. But I knew God was mercifully shielding me from something that would impact my life in a negative way. Well, I drove around Bath with my father. He ran his errands. And I got so frustrated in that car that I finally shook my fist at heaven and said, you know what, God? I don't care what you do. I'm going to that party when I get home. And you know, God quite often will enlighten us. He will convict us. He will show us the path of duty. And we know in our soul, if we pray to Jesus what he is asking us to do, we know it. But the real issue is, will we yield to it? And see, quite often when we persistently grieve away the Spirit, God steps back and says, okay, you are a free moral agent. You are free to act out your own will. I've enlightened you, and I've shown you the path of duty. But if you want to go your own way, I've got to let you because I can't force you. That's in a nutshell, you know, what God revealed to me. And so when I got home, I went to that party. And I exposed myself to things that a 12-year-old should not ever have any business being exposed to. And did you know that one single decision, friends, led me on a path where I left Jesus for 17 years of my life? And you know what? I wasted all that time. I could have been preaching much earlier. I could have been training for ministry much earlier. I could have been winning souls much earlier. But because of that one stupid, if I can use that word, decision, it led me astray. Now, I managed to graduate from high school. I graduated from Carabeck High School in uh, 1986, I believe it was. That'll give you an idea of how old I am. Then I went to the University of Maine at Orono. And I graduated there in 1991 with a dual bachelor's degree in ancient history and in physical anthropology, which is basically human evolution. I was an evolutionist. I was a pagan evolutionist. Finally, moved out to Los Angeles. I I, I was engaged to a young lady, and and she got a job out in Los Angeles. So she asked me, she said, look, you know, I know you want to pursue graduate work. Can you please, maybe we can have a life together, let's move out to Los Angeles and and see the world. After all, we're from Maine. We haven't really been exposed to the real world. All right? So we moved out there. Through an interesting series of events, we ended up going our separate ways. And I thought, you know what? Let me try the military. So I went down to the local Marine Corps recruiting office, and I received an appointment as a Marine Corps officer candidate in early 1994, and I trained for a year. I was in the best shape of my life going to officer candidate school at Quantico. I could do 80 sit-ups in a minute and a half. I could do 28 pull-ups. I could run three miles in 21 minutes. And, of course, that, was, that could have been improved on, but I was in the best shape of my life. And uh, some of you are probably like, wow, okay. But uh, I went to Quantico, Virginia, 
in January of 1995 to become a Marine Corps officer. And in the third week of officer candidate school, I sustained a lower back injury. I was medically discharged from the Marine Corps, and I was sent back out to California. And what's interesting is, is when I lined up for pay call at OCS, it was interesting how they let me go. I, I walked up to the table to get my pay, and the company first sergeant, who was this big, huge, Tyrannosaurus Rex of a man stood up. I mean, this guy was a, 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 almost a sergeant. I mean, he was just one rank below a sergeant major. This guy was, a, I mean, I wouldn't want to mess with the brother. I mean, he's a Vietnam vet, Marine all his life, getting ready to be promoted to be a sergeant major of the Marine Corps. He stands up and he, he busts me and he fires me in front of the whole company. Candidate Swearingen, you're NPQ'd, you're medically discharged. Get out of my face! Busted me and humiliated me in front of the whole company. So I walked back to the barracks with my tail between my legs, so to speak, packed up my gear. And then he comes in. He goes, you going to be all right, son? <laughs> he said, when you heal from your injury, come back and see us because we want you back. And I think, I think they were putting on a show just to, you know, you know what I mean? I think they had, they had a certain part to act out because they wanted these candidates toughened up, you know. But, it, but they, were, they, they had compassion behind closed doors. But anyway, you know, what's interesting is when I, when I, when I put on my sea bag, what they call that big military duffel bag, you know, um, they sent me back to the train, and I had to take a train from Quantico to Washington, D.C. to fly back to Los Angeles. And here I am sitting on this train. And you know, it was one of those times where I had a chance to reflect on my life. And you know, I didn't realize this at that point, but God was still working with me. He was still pursuing me, even though I had left Jesus and became stooped in, 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 the, in, in evolution and, and in paganism and all this kind of stuff, you know, as far as my education. Even though those things had come into my life, friends, I could still see God working with me every step of the way, pursuing me. And, and this is a terrible, terrible illustration, but it's almost like God is a lovesick lover pursuing us. Saying, please, I don't want to let you go because the alternative is eternal death and I want to save you. And he pursues after us until every avenue has been exhausted. That's, that's, that's the God we hopefully serve, right? But as I'm on that train, that 45-minute train ride from Quantico to Washington, D.C., I fell into a depression. I was all alone. I was afraid. I was unsure of the future. My faith was pretty much gone. I had a death wish. I wish that I would die right then. But you know what? This thought came into my mind that carried me back to when I was 12. And I began to think about that decision I had made to go to that party. This was incredible. I mean, God had carried me back through the years and I could trace the path of destruction from that one choice. And it was almost like this thought came into my mind, you're going to be okay. Just go back to Los Angeles. And so I went back to L.A. But you know, I wonder if anyone in here tonight feels like I did on that train. You feel alone tonight? Are you running from duty? Because God revealed to me on that train that I had, and I didn't understand this until later, when, when God's revelation came more strongly to my mind as I began to surrender my heart again to Jesus, but, but I had ran from duty. And I wonder how many of us tonight 
or feeling like I did on that train because you have run from duty. What's interesting, and here's a little caveat here, and this is where I want to bring in the Bible tonight in this. What's interesting is when you look at the experience of a man called Elijah, Elijah had a similar experience in his life. The Bible in James chapter 5, verse 7 says that Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. And did you know that Elijah experienced the very same feelings that I did on that train and maybe the very same feelings that perhaps some of you are experiencing here tonight? Now what I want to do for a moment is get a little bit of Bible in tonight and I want to look at the experience of Elijah and then I'm going to uh, come back to that train from Quantico to Washington. All right. Now I want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. I just want to highlight a couple of things to show you how God handles people that run from duty. All right. 1 Kings chapter 19 and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, as you turn to this passage, I'd like to just bring you up to speed on the man we understand to be Elijah in the Bible. Elijah was a Tishabite from a place called Gilead. And Elijah was called to be a prophet of God, a mouthpiece for God, in a time when Israel was in its deepest apostasy. Israel, the history of ancient Israel is an interesting object lesson that reveals there are times when they were faithful to God and there were also times when they were unfaithful to God. And what was interesting about the time of Elijah was that they were in their deepest apostate condition at that time. King Ahab was the ruler of Israel and Ahab was an unconsecrated king. Ahab entered into a union with a woman called Jezebel who was the daughter of a, of a, of a priest of Baal which is basically sun worship. And so Elijah, or Ahab rather, was unequally yoked with Jezebel. And through her influence, she used her husband to, to inundate Israel with Baal worship, thus leading them into a deep condition of apostasy. And in fact, that apostasy led to three and a half years of a dry spell, which nearly destroyed Israel. Now we pick up the story in verse 1, but, but just prior to that we have to remember that, that Elijah had a famous showdown on Mount Carmel with the priests of Baal. Some of us remember the story, right, where Elijah went up to the mountain and they, they, they wanted to see who the true God was and, and the, the priests of Baal set up their altar and they cut themselves and they chanted all day long, you know, oh Baal, hear us, consume the sacrifice, and nothing happened. And finally Elijah stepped up to the place to speak and he basically said, ha, where's your God? I guess he doesn't hear you. And, I, and some people say, well, why did Elijah mock them? I think he did it in a sanctified way. All right. Where's your God? Your God doesn't exist. And then Elijah, the Bible says, built a simple altar, had a simple sacrifice, put a little trench of water around it, and he knelt down and prayed a simple prayer. And God answered his prayer by consuming the sacrifice. And then later on they slew the prophets of Baal. Now we pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 19 of 1 Kings. And it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. 
So here's Ahab running to his wife. Elijah killed all our prophets. And Jezebel swore an oath. Elijah will be as one of those dead prophets by this time tomorrow. I'm going to take him out. Now in verse 3 it says, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. You see, here is Elijah who has a mountaintop experience, and then after the death decree of a heathen queen, he runs for his life, unafraid, even though God had given him evidence that he was with him and gave him a sanctified holy boldness where he could stand up for the truth and rebuke a heathen king to his face and then stand for God on Mount Carmel, and then after the death decree of an evil queen, he runs like a whipped pup. But notice he flees into the wilderness. And he sits down under a juniper tree and he wants to die. He's discouraged. He's alone. His faith is shaky. And he has a death wish. Now watch how God deals with him. Verse 5. Now this is awesome because God does this with all of us. But a lot of times we're so busy to even discern heavenly realities on how God is working in our lives. Now in verse 5, as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Now, I want you to notice something in what we just read. Here is Elijah. He's downtrodden. He's depressed. He's afraid. He's alone. His faith is just about collapsed. He wants to die. But did God forsake him? Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Right? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. That's what Jesus says in the Bible. And in like manner, God did not leave Elijah alone. He sent to him the ministry of angels. Did you know that every single one of us enjoys angelic protection? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever discerned the presence of angels near you in your life? You know, it's happened to me occasionally. I, I can't say that it happens as often as I would like it to. But I can remember one time I was in a particular city and I was scheduled to preach on a particular Sabbath day at this particular church. And I knew in this particular church there was a, there was a man there that was, at, that was against me. He did not like me. Okay? And, and I was so afraid to go preach at this church because I was afraid this man's anger toward me was going to cause him to stand up and belligerently rebuke me in front of the whole church for no apparent reason, evidently. And I was intimidated, and I'm driving through this town on a Friday night, you know, just all anxious and stressed out and worried about what might happen the next morning in church. And I came to this stoplight, and it was red, of course, and I stopped. And what was interesting is this stress began to just cause my body just to tighten up. And then all of a sudden, this incredible peace came over my soul. 
I mean, it was, I, I can't describe it to you, but, but I felt totally at peace. And, and that verse came to my mind, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Isaiah 26, verse 3, right? And this peace flooded me, and then this thought came into my mind, Go preach the word of God tomorrow in the power of the Spirit of God. Be not afraid of their faces. Diminish not a word. Stand in the sacred desk and thunder the truth to the people of God. That impression crystallized in my mind. And then the peace withdrew and the stress came back. And, and, well, and, and I realized after the fact, that was an angel. I believe that God sent an angel to say, just touch him, just give him a sign, and then let Jonah go preach to Nineveh. All right? But you know what, friends? I think sometimes we're so busy in our lives. We're on the treadmill of life. And especially some of you who are students, you know that treadmill can get pretty fast, can't it? I mean, it's hard to, to maintain a connection with God when, when we're stressed out and we're overloaded in our time. But you know what? I believe still that God wants us to come apart and rest a while at times. And I believe that if we will step off the treadmill, we will discern the presence of angels working with us, just like angels worked with Elijah. Praise God. Now, notice what happens there in verse 9. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? In other words, what are you doing here? Why are you running from duty? Right? It goes on to say, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains. And break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a what? Still small voice. You see there's God working through the thoughts. In a still small voice. God was not in all that conflagration. God spoke to Elijah through a still voice. Small voice. And you know what? I'm gonna, I have a message later this week called the voice of conscience. I'm going to talk more about discerning the voice of God a little bit. So hopefully we can benefit from that discussion somewhat. But God spoke to Elijah. He didn't forsake Elijah. Even when Elijah ran from duty, friends, God still pursued him. God still went after him. You know, I think sometimes we cast ourselves off quicker than God wants to. Years ago, when I was going to the University of Maine, I, I used to work construction for a carpentry, carpentry contractor in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, in between school years. And one particular summer in Booth Bay Harbor, we built a house on a dock in Booth Bay Harbor. And I worked with two of my other friends from college, and, and, uh, and what was interesting is my boss each gave us a duty to go, to, to do, and then he was going to go to the hardware store and run some errands. So he gave us a responsibility and he left us to do it unsupervised while he went to the hardware store. And my responsibility was to cut a stair tread. Okay, I had to just trim the back edge of a stair tread and, and put it in place. That was my only responsibility. But instead of cutting the back of the stair tread like this, I cut it like that. And I was so disappointed that I had made a mistake, I just 
walked around and just beat myself up. Oh, George is going to be very upset with me. You know what? I may as well just fire myself. Because he told me explicitly, Mark, this is the only stair tread I have. Don't mess this cut up. And what did I do? Oh, mercy. All right? So I walked around just beating myself up and, and, just, and just, I don't know what the right word is, whipping myself, just, just putting myself down. And I was ready to walk all the way home the 30 miles from Booth Bay to Bath just, just to atone for my sin. All right? And then my boss pulls up, and I'm like, oh, here we go. And I just, I ran up to his truck. I didn't even wait for him to come out on the dock. I ran up to his truck, and I said, George, I messed up this cut. You know, I can understand if you want to let me go. I'm sorry. I know you told me not to mess it up, but I messed it up. I'm sorry. And he said, Mark, I'm not going to fire you over one mistake. Let's go take a look. Maybe we can fix this. Don't worry about it. Don't beat yourself up. You know, you have a lot of potential. So let's go work on it. And, you know, we went back to that stair tread and we fixed it. And, you know, and the point is, is that always resonated with me and how God treats us like that. Now, they're true. it's true. We make mistakes at times. And sometimes God convicts us and rebukes us for our mistakes because we wouldn't learn anything if we didn't get stung by touching the burner, so to speak. But you know what? God is always willing to work with those who are willing to be taught and learn from their mistakes, just like my boss was. And you see, that's how God treated Elijah. Elijah, look, you've made mistakes, but you know what? I'm going to care for you. I'm going to send you the ministry of angels. Those angels are going to meet your temporal needs. And then I'm going to come and meet with you myself. And I'm still going to speak to you with my still small voice. And going a step further, I'm going to recommission you and call you back to duty. So what in the world are you doing here? Why are you running from duty? Gird up your loins like a man and go do what I've called you to do. And that's what's that basically, in a, in a sense... What God says beginning there in verse 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the, in the entering in of a cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abimelohoah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Now there's a lot that's going on in this text, but the thing that I want to bring out is this. God recommissioned Elijah back to duty. Even though Elijah ran, even though Elijah's faith was about to crumble, even though Elijah felt alone and tired and lonely and afraid, and even though he had a death wish, God pursued him and recalled him and recommissioned him back to duty. He would not let him go. Praise God. And you know, Elijah, guess what? He was translated to heaven. That's hope. There's hope for us. I wonder if any of you again here tonight are running. Well, now you see how God deals 
with those whom he has called to duty and who have run. And so I'm on that train on the way back from Quantico and I have this death wish. God came to me in that train and I didn't realize it until after, but he came to me in that train and he said, listen, you just go to Los Angeles and things are going to be okay. And did you know that when I went back to Los Angeles after washing out of the Marine Corps, I managed to find a friend of mine who allowed me to move in with him for some time. And did you know that one night when I was in his house, staying there, there was a knock on the door and his parents came in and they lived about eight blocks away in Glendale. And they were Seventh-day Adventists. And I found out later from my friend's mother, she said, the first time I met you, God impressed me to ask you for a Bible study, but I was too afraid. I ran from duty. And then the second time they came over, they talked with me, asked him for a Bible study. I ran from duty. And then the third time, I find that the conviction was so heavy, I had to give in. Mark, can we study the Bible with you, please? She had to just blurt it out because she was so afraid of rejection. And I said, well, sure. Why not? What have I got to lose? And did you know they began to share with me some principles from the Bible? They shared with me the, the concept of the biblical Sabbath being the seventh day of the week. They shared with me the concept of life after death as the Seventh-day Adventist church understand it, understands it to be sleep at death. And they also shared with me the concept of the spirit of prophecy, which is the operation of the gift of prophecy as far as spiritual gifts are concerned. Now that's not an ideal evangelistic order. Amen, right? We do evangelistic series. I don't usually use that order when I preach crusades, all right? But nevertheless, they shared with me those truths, and the seed was planted. And a few months later, I moved to San Diego to, 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 to live with a friend of mine back from Maine who had lived down there. And then as it turned out, he broke up with his girlfriend, and we went back to Maine in the spring of 1995. And then as it turned out, my Adopted father had a heart attack and a nervous breakdown because of some things that took place in his professional life. And the doctor said, listen, you got to get out of Dodge, get into a warmer environment. And so my family in Maine decided to move to Florida, Lake City, Florida, where we had some relatives. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm back in Maine, I have nothing to lose, I have no job, I'm you know, not really doing too well, maybe I can go to Florida and start over. Well, the day after I set foot in Lake City, I got a job with Alltel Communications selling cellular phones. And what was interesting about that is I, had, I was working on the Sabbath. And when I went to my boss, um, and, and, well, let me rewind a little bit. I, I started feeling the Lord convicting me of coming back to church. Because I got ahead of myself a little bit there, but let me, let me rewind just for a little bit. When I started working for Altel, my boss was a born-again Christian. He was not a Seventh-day Adventist. He was a member of another denomination, and he was a good Christian man. And he, he, he told me later on, he thought, you know what, Mark needs Jesus. I, I'm going to start sending some people from the church around to see him at work. Because at the time, I was selling all-tell service in the local Walmart. They had like a wall display, and I was responsible for going in there and selling the phones and the services to people that walked by. And so all of a sudden, this youth pastor from, from my boss's local church started conveniently and, and conspicuously, suspiciously coming by to see me regularly. And I'm thinking, man, what is going on with these people? And finally, he convinced me to go to a Wednesday night youth Bible study. And I could feel God coming back into my life to the point where I made a decision to be rebaptized in December of 1995. 
Well, one day before that baptism, I got a call out of nowhere. And it was my friend's parents from California. And I don't know how they got my number, but they called and they said, Listen, how are you doing? Well, you'll never guess. I'm about to be rebaptized. What church is it? I said, Well, I, and I revealed the denomination. They said, Wait a minute. What are you doing? And, and I have great respect for Christians of all faiths. I don't, you know, I don't want you to get the idea that I'm trying to think that I'm better than any other faith group. Okay. But truth is truth, friends. And we have to remember that there is an absolute truth. And that truth comes from right here. Okay. And when I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I discarded my evolutionary thinking. I realized, in, in my estimation, as I studied God's Word, that that's not a viable option. And I renounced that whole philosophy, even though I had been educated in that whole vein of thinking. And that was just one of many things that had happened. But be that as it may, I was on the phone with, with my friend's parents, and they said, listen, hang up the phone and wait right by the phone. So I hung up the phone, and a little while later, I got a phone call. Come to find out they had called like three or four different, they had called the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, they had called the Southern Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, they had called the Florida Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, and then finally they got the Lake City pastor's number. And he called me and he said, listen, this lady's called me from California. She said that you're open. I'd like to come study the Bible with you. And did you know that night he was on my doorstep? And, and Pastor Ron is the pastor, Pastor Ron Patterson um, is the pastor that baptized me. And Ron is, is a very athletic man. And he walks in. I, I'll never forget how he walked in. He had probably a couple Bibles and a couple concordances. And he walks in, you know, just... <laughs> I'm going to study the Bible with you. And I told him, I said, listen, brother, I said, I'll study with you, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to write down every word you say. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to hammer it out myself. And if I find anything wrong with what you are teaching me, you will never come to my house again. And he, and he said, well, no pressure. Uh, you know, he said, that's fair enough, because you know what? God's word will stand the test if we rightly divide the word of truth, you understand. If we're faithful to the text that we look at. But anyway, he studied with me the state of the dead. I wrote down everything. I went back and I thought, Pastor Ron, how about Thursday? Come on back. Then he studied with me this wonderful concept about how, how sinners don't burn for eternity. And I thought, wow. Pastor Ron, come on back. And then that started basically a sequence of about 25 studies over a three-month period. And then he came to me in late January of 96, and he said, listen, I'm having a baptism on February 3. I think you're ready. I believe God's calling you into the ministry. I've never seen a kid soak up what you've soaked up in such a short amount of time. God's going to call you to the ministry. You need to be baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist, born-again Christian. And so I made the decision, February 3, 1996. I was baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian into the Lake City Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, what's interesting is a few months later, my pastor came to me and he said, Mark, look. Because at the time, my pastor had two churches. He was pastoring Lake City and he was pastoring uh, a high, the High Springs Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is near, for some of you who have been in Florida and are Seventh-day Adventists, you know Camp Kalakwa. I don't know if you ever heard of Camp Kalakwa. But anyway, Camp Kalakwa was right near that other church. Well, he told me, he said, listen, because he went every other week at each church, and he said, I can't fill the pulpit on June 8th of 1996. I can't find a, a speaker, and I think God might be opening this up for you. Would you like to preach? And I said, well, Pastor Ron, I'm, I'm a three-month Adventist. I, I can't even get up and tell a mission story. 
And you have to understand, friends, I, I, had stage fr- I, I suffered from stage fright all my life, all right? I mean, I would get up and I would sweat profusely from the forehead. I mean, if you shake my hand tonight, you might feel a little clammy hands because I still get that way because I think it's God's way of keeping me humble. But did you know I went, I didn't feel any resistance to preach. And so I went and I said, Pastor, sign me up. I think God's given me a message. So he signed me up for that date. And did you know that Sabbath morning, and and by the way, I didn't eat for two days. I was so nervous. I didn't eat. I mean, that Thursday and Friday leading up to that Sabbath morning, so to speak, I did not eat. And I was so nervous about that sermon. In fact, my mom and dad came down to the church and they shook my hand and they said, man, you, do you have a pulse? You know, I mean, I was so nervous. And I got up on the stage and I was on this side and the elder was on the other side. And, and, I, and, and I'm just sitting there, you know, and we're singing the opening hymn and I'm starting to get lightheaded. And, uh, and I went and I, and I gave the invocation, you know, the textbook, Jesus, bless us with your spirit, you know. And, and then I set the hymnal and, and the pulpit had like two shelves here and I set the hymnal down and then I just kind of, I fainted. I mean, I just collapsed. And there was a mic stand right here, and I just collapsed on the stage and passed out. And, and what was interesting is that every nurse in the congregation, praise the Lord for you nurses, right, converged on the stage and began to try to shove grape juice and juices down my throat. And I was out cold, all right? And I woke up in an ambulance with smelling salts. You want to talk about the road to Damascus? Right? And you know what was interesting, I know, and, and I can joke about it now, um, but I'll tell you, at the time, it was a very humbling thing. And, I, and I, I came to in this ambulance, and I'm just, I'm crying, I'm just weeping, because self had been totally obliterated. I mean, I had no self-respect or dignity left. And, and, I, and I thought, you know what, Lord? I'll never be able to show my face in this church again. You want to talk about running from duty earlier? You, you watch me now, you know? But you know what? Then I began to get angry. God, you know, I thought you called me. I mean, you told me way back when, when I was 10, that I would do this. Why could you allow that to happen to me? And, you know, when I went to that hospital, they took me to a hospital in Gainesville, Florida. And they wheeled me into this isolated room. And this nurse came in. As I was just, I'm serious, I was just weeping in this bed. I was so devastated. And she just held my hand, didn't say a word. Maybe she was an angel. But she just held my hand like, you know, and looked at me like it's going to be okay. And God began to, again, work through my thoughts. Because I, I had a chance in that bed to really search myself. Have you ever had those moments where, where you know that God is speaking to your heart and you just, you know, he, it's almost like in panoramic vision in your mind, he flashes your life before you. And he basically said to my thoughts, You don't understand this right now, but you will later on. And when you tell this testimony, it will be a blessing. And by the way, you are are very full of self today. You are going to stand up and pistol whip those saints. You are going to be the junior Holy Spirit. And you need to understand that self can never be alive in the desk. You must be surrendered to the Spirit of God if you're going to break the bread of life to souls. And I learned very quickly. And, I'm, and self's not totally... I mean, I, you know, we have our moments, right? I mean, just because we come to Christ doesn't mean that we don't struggle with a, a sinful nature. I mean, self still raises its ugly head. 
And we've got to learn to cooperate with the Spirit of God so that the Spirit of God can subdue self and we can live the life of Christ. But God taught me that self had to die and he took a huge chunk of self out that time. And in the interim, between the seven-month period between me passing out and me actually preaching my first sermon, it was a time of incredible, incredible agony for me. It was a time of trouble. I mean, I barely even could walk into my home church. And people would come up to me and they'd say, well, Mark, if you ever go two days without eating again and step up to preach, you're gonna, I'll have you. Don't you ever scare us like that again. You know, I had people, I'm like, look, how about a little compassion? I mean, <laughs> right? Amen? I mean, there are times when we need a little bit of compassion. Just like this morning when you all laughed at me when that girl broke my heart, right? Anyway, but you know, what was interesting is seven months, I actually, by the way, I actually went to Toastmasters and learned how to actually get up in front of people and not take a die. I mean, I, I, I actually learned how to get up and speak, you know, and get comfortable. And, and God began to work with me, and my pastor would have me do prayer meetings, and, and I would do mission stories, and I started getting more acclimated to getting up in front. And then finally, in January of 1997, I got up and I preached my first sermon. And you know, I'd been preaching ever since then. And what's interesting is a few months prior to that, my pastor held an evangelistic series. And I videotaped every meeting. And one night after one of those meetings, I went up to Pastor Ron and I said, Pastor Ron, you know what you're doing tonight? I can do that. He said, Mark, you, I mean, with all due respect, I'm not trying to pull a scab off a wound, but you passed out. I mean, you, you haven't even preached your first sermon. How in the world can you do evangelism, right? And I said, I can do that. And he said, I tell you what, you preach your first sermon and then you take the next year and you write a set of evangelistic meetings, evangelistic sermons, and then I will go to the conference and I will get you a meeting as a layperson and we'll see what the Lord will do. And in the meantime, I, I thought I needed to go to school. I thought I had to go to school to become a pastor and so I sent out all these applications to different schools in the Adventist church and one by one they kept coming back. Sorry, we don't have time. Sorry, we don't have enough financial aid. Sorry, the deadline has passed. Sorry, we don't have room right now. I mean, every excuse under the sun. And then, and, then, and then I began to get frustrated with God. God, look, you know, I'm trying to become a minister. Why don't you help me? And the Lord just kept impressing me. Look, if you would get out of the way, I will put you in the ministry without school. Right in the ministry. And did you know that my pastor set up a meeting with the evangelism coordinator in Florida, and he was just happened to be looking for a lay evangelist. And he said, I will give you meetings. If the Lord blesses, I will keep rolling you meetings. You don't owe us anything. We don't owe you anything. And did you know in our first crusade, we planted a church in, a, in an area where there was no Florida Conference Church? God blessed. And then I did three more meetings that year. They rolled me Three, uh, four more meetings the next year in 2000. And then by 2002, they came to me and said, look, we want to pick you up full time now. And then along the way, I met my wife, Sarah, wonderful Seventh-day Adventist Christian woman. Um, and by the way, she was on the front row when I fainted, you know. And I didn't know her. Beautiful introduction. I knew I had her at once that happened. But, uh, but, you know, uh, along the way, I married my wife, Sarah, and we have three beautiful children. And, you know, I, once we discovered that, that my wife was pregnant with our first daughter, Abigail, who's now five, um, we decided to leave full-time evangelism and pastor part-time at Plymouth Sorrento. 
and do part-time evangelism in Florida. And uh, after about four years at Sorrento, I thought, you know, I want to go back and do evangelism. I just love it. I'm not a pastor. I'm an evangelist. And uh, Amazing Facts was looking at us very seriously. In fact, I had an interview set up with them, and, it was, and everything was looking like it was going to be a go. And then one morning, my wife came to me weeping. And she said, look, honey, I know that I've told you that I'd follow you wherever God leads you. But we have three children. Because at the time, well, we had two and she was pregnant with our third. And she said, look, you know, we, can, we couldn't even travel statewide in Florida with two kids. Now we're going to have three and they're going to want you to go nationwide with amazing facts. And not only that, you may even go international and we can't do that. And I don't want our family separated for long periods of time. Can we please look at another option? And, and you see, it was my dream to go with AFAX. I mean, I wanted to work for Amazing Facts ever since I was baptized. Amazing Facts, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a ministry in Sacramento headed by Doug Batchelor, who's a, uh, uh, an Adventist evangelist in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And it's a very powerful, soul-winning ministry. Goes all around the world every year, preaching evangelism and winning souls to Jesus. And, and, I, and I had my dream right there. But yet my wife was, was standing in front of me that morning saying, please, can we look at another option? And it was interesting. She was standing right in front of a window, so, and the sun was coming up that morning, and, and she was radiating with the sun behind her. And, and, and I, it was almost like there was an angel about eight feet tall behind her saying, listen to her, because you will destroy your family in full-time evangelism. They're not ready. And so I said, okay, honey, I'll, I'll put my dream on hold. Let's see how the Lord leads. And then the Lord led us to Hickory. And that's where we currently are right now. And we are so thankful that Jesus has worked in our lives in a tremendous way. And listen, I, you know, I tell you all this not to attract attention to myself. I, I tell you this to, to convey to you that God has given you a testimony too. Now you may not faint, and I hope you don't faint in front of a church. But you know what? I'll tell you right now, God wants to work in our lives and give us a testimony that we can share with others. But unfortunately, quite often we run from duty. When God reveals our duty to us, quite often we resist. And I pray tonight, friends, that as you've heard this testimony, that you will be encouraged not to run from God if you are running from God. And maybe if you're downtrodden or, or, or feel alone, depressed, afraid, like your faith is about to fail, maybe even you have a death wish, I don't know. But you know what? Just like God dealt with Elijah and just like God dealt with me, God wants to deal with you in the same way. He can use you in a tremendous way. But you must choose to respond and be used and be willing to be used by God. And so don't run from duty, friends. Let God call you back to where you need to be. Maybe your heart has strayed from God for many years, like what happened to me. But you know, I will promise you right now, God is very near to you. You may not sense His presence, and you're not to go on feelings anyway. You're to go on principle to know that God is pursuing you every step of the way, calling you back to where He wants you to be. And maybe you are in God's calling right now. And praise God for that. Because God needs people that are willing to be used in the center of His will. But whatever your case is tonight, friends, please allow God to use you Allow God to use your testimony to reach others. And by the grace of God, you will win many souls to Jesus. You will sow many seeds that will bear fruit. And when Jesus comes again, you will see those souls 
have the crown of glory placed upon their brow, a crown that is more precious than life itself. God bless you tonight as you consider this testimony. May God help all of us not to run from duty anymore, but to follow Him all the way. Amen? Amen. Let us go ahead and have prayer as we close our meeting tonight. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the way you work in our lives in a tremendous way. And we're sorry, Lord, for the times when we really don't discern your providences as we should. Sometimes life can get very busy. Sometimes we even make choices that lead us down paths that you had not designed for us to go down. But even so, Lord, you are pursuing us. You want us back. Like Elijah, you want to call us back. You send heavenly influences to work with us, to guide our minds and to bring us back to where we need to be. And we pray tonight, Lord, that you would help all of us to be back where you would have us to be. Lord, if we've run from duty, we make a commitment tonight to come back to you. Lord, help all of us to fulfill your purpose for our lives. And Lord, we realize that starts with a total surrender to you. So tonight in this moment of time, I pray that each one of us would make that decision to yield ourselves to you. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray tonight that your spirit will still strive with each one of us and that you will continue to bless us abundantly above all that we could ask or think. As we leave this place tonight, Lord, may the angels go with us to keep us safe. And Father, I pray that as we continue through this week, your Spirit will continue to bless us. Thank you for all that you do for us, for we realize we're not worthy. But Lord, please continue to strive with us and bless us is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.